What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 57 of the Tom Shiflet Podcast. I am your host, Tom Shiflet. We'll get into recapping week 11, and then we'll look into... Well, actually, we're not going to look into the Thursday night football games for Turkey Day because who gives a shit about Houston versus Detroit and Washington versus Dallas? I mean, it just came out right before I recorded. It's kind of why I waited... For Wednesday instead of Tuesday, because I had a feeling that Baltimore and Pittsburgh would be postponed, moved back. I was trying to see if there was going to be any more positive tests pop up, and sure enough, there were, and now we're up to, I believe, seven Ravens players and about four or five coaches and staff members, so NFL is deciding to move it to a Sunday. We'll probably be at a one o'clock or a four o'clock, and... um I'm pretty I'm pretty pissed off honestly about this because I was looking forward to actually getting down to sit down and just enjoy watching the Steeler game with no other games going on. I have to watch all the games and I take notes and I pay attention to every single game that's going on. So when they play at one o'clock, I have four or five other games on. I'm trying to watch all of them all at the same time and I can't really just sit and enjoy the game. And I was really looking forward to an eight o'clock game. No other games to worry about. I can just sit and just focus on this football game here. It's going to be a great game. Always is between Baltimore and Pittsburgh. And getting, I'm getting fucked here, honestly. I'm really, I'm really, really annoyed. And um, just kind of confusing why they're postponing it now. We are a day before the game. You know, you had San Francisco a few weeks ago. Just have to ride it out with a practice squad Thursday night football against Green Bay. But I just, I, I don't know, man. And... The players that did test positive for COVID, they will not be eligible to play regardless of what people tell you. That's not the rules. They will not be able to play on Sunday, regardless if they negative or whatever. They're not playing on Sunday. Now, it gives an opportunity for the close contacts and players like Calais Campbell, who is dealing with a calf injury, to have a chance to play. It gives a chance for Brandon Williams, who was a high-risk close contact, to be able to play on Sunday. So that's a huge advantage for Baltimore. I know Ravens fans are probably doing cartwheels right now because there's a chance that Brandon Williams and Calais Campbell can come back and kind of fortify that front seven there because they have been going through it the past two games without those two players up front. And uh, just I'm so annoyed that, you know, Pittsburgh, they lost a bye week early in the year because of Tennessee couldn't control their COVID situation. And now Pittsburgh potentially loses not only a primetime football game because they've only had one all year, but the mini bye week after playing on Thursday night football. Now, this is also going to affect the Ravens and the Cowboys as well because they're both supposed to play the following Thursday. Now, Baltimore is going to play a Sunday into a Thursday, a very short week coming for them. So it's, you know, both teams are getting, they're getting fucked here, honestly. And uh, just, it just really sucks, man. And I just, I don't understand what, what happened this week for Baltimore, how these, how these, tests came like why did these people get infected like what what happened this week that the protocols weren't followed how did this spread happen um it's been a few weeks since we've had a game postponed and moved back but that didn't mean that the testing uh or the positives have stopped i mean there's still teams that have been having some positives but it hasn't been to the extent of a spread like we saw with tennessee what's happening right now for baltimore so 
We'll have to see. I mean, I, I don't know what they do if the tests keep coming out and there's more and more positives here. Um, I don't know. They can't push the game really any further back because, like I said, Baltimore plays on a Thursday. So if they have to move it to a Tuesday, that means Baltimore, Dallas probably gets moved to a Sunday like they're doing here. And it's starting to make my head hurt just starting to think about all this stuff. So I'm really annoyed that I have to sit through. We have to sit through. Houston and Detroit, and then we have to sit through Washington versus Dallas. And there's no prize at the end. There's no light at the end of the tunnel there where it's like, okay, we sat through these two horrible games, but we got we got a prize at the end. We got Baltimore. We got Pittsburgh. Greatest rivalry in sports. We get that primetime football. Pittsburgh going for 11-0. This is a big deal. Season on the line for Lamar here, and we don't get that. So... Just very, very upset. I'm not. I'm really. I'm really pissed off right now. I, I got the news and like I took a second to like, relax a second before I started recording because I was really fuming. But it is what it is. I mean, in 2020, that's the way the sports world has been working. So you just got to deal with what's going on. And uh, we're all, we're all losers here in this one because we're really missing out on a hell of a football game, and it's going to be, kind of just. I guess shuffled in with the one o'clock slate, most likely. I don't think they move it to a four. It pisses me off that they can't possibly flex it. You know, take over Sunday night football where the Bears are playing. Like, who gives a shit about the Bears playing on Sunday night football? Who wants to watch Nick Foles Sunday night football? I mean, I certainly don't. We've seen enough of, of him on Sunday nights, Monday nights, four o'clocks. We've seen way too much primetime Nick Foles. It's getting, it's getting ridiculous. So, uh, with. With that out of the way, we can get on to recapping Week 11 here. So let's move on. First game, Pittsburgh Steelers. They move on to 10-0 with a 27-3 win against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Big Ben, 32-46, 267 through the air. Two touchdowns, one pick there at the end of the half. A a really stupid heave that he had there, but it didn't really matter at all. James Conner. 13 carries, 89 yards rushing. So they started to get the run game going a little bit. Doesn't really mean that much, honestly, because Jacksonville has been one of the worst rushing defenses in football. But nonetheless, previous week against Cincinnati, also one of the bottom feeders in regards to rush defense. They couldn't do anything with them as well. So it's nice to see that they actually got a little bit of a run game going on. They're definitely going to need that run game. But the way that Ben and this short passing game is working and how quickly he's getting the ball at, again, it's supplementing a run game here. They don't really have to run the ball a certain amount of times. It's kind of insane that people are trying to say, oh, they need to run it this You don't need to run it a certain amount of times. You just need to, when you run it, need to be efficient doing it. They're starting to do that. If they can build off last week, that's a really good sign. But the way this passing game is working, the the running game, it's not that much of a concern as I thought it was going into the Jacksonville game. Uh, I was kind of, the sky is falling with their running game, but it's going to work itself out. And if Ben's going to be this efficient and this short passing game is going to be just as great as it's been since about second half of the Dallas game, it's been lights out. It's been perfect. So if they can keep that up, the, the run game really won't be a problem at all. Deontay Johnson just had an incredible, incredible day. He had 16 targets. He got 12 receptions, 111 yards. He was just incredible, man. I I don't want to make like these kind of comparisons a lot, but he really reminds me of Antonio Brown. And 
He's a lot quicker than A.B., obviously, speed-wise. He's a very good route runner, not to the extent that Antonio Brown is. Antonio Brown is one of the greatest route runners I've ever seen in my life. But there's that play there, the back shoulder, where there was no chance that Deontay Johnson should have caught this football. And he did. And he, that's just Those were plays that Antonio Brown made every single Sunday early on in his career where you're just like, this kid is going to be really special. And Deontay Johnson just, the dude really pops. And he showed a lot of it last year with really bad quarterback play and the the rhythm he has with Big Ben like the sky's the limit for this this dude he is so fun to watch he is he is incredible man and he does he reminds me a lot of Antonio Brown man and uh, I hope he doesn't turn into a crazy person and it doesn't end as poorly as it did with Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh but Deontay Johnson man that kid is really fun and speaking of fun Chase Claypool he has another touchdown to his incredible rookie season so far 10 so far it's it's insane, and what's even more insane is the the more the just overlooking of what this kid is doing. I mean, I'm seeing these rookie rankings that ESPN keeps putting out every week. Claypool's not even cracking the top ten. I saw an ESPN thing where they showed T. Higgins, Justin Jefferson, Ceedee Lamb. Who are you starting a franchise with with this receiver? Uh, neither. I'm starting with Chase Claypool here. Like, what are we doing? Are we not watching this guy every Sunday? I just I don't understand what's going on here. He's not even in the conversation for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, I don't know. This is one of the greatest rookie seasons you'll ever see by a wide receiver here. He's putting on, and nobody gives a shit. So I think the the T. Higgins love is going to go away here. We'll get to Joe Burrow here shortly, but that's kind of it for him. That's a wrap for his chance of being Offensive Rookie of the Year or the best rookie receiver this season. So just Chase Claypool, he's absolutely incredible, and he's still learning this offense. He's still he's going to get better, so... Sky's the limit with this offense, really, with Deontay Johnson and Claypool. Hopefully, Juju, he kind of rolled his ankle. He rolled his ankle on the referee's flag. He, 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 like, he twisted the shit out of his ankle. If you watch the replay on this flag, and uh, this is also an advantage for Pittsburgh as well. Joe Hayden got banged up in the Jacksonville game as well, and Juju Smith-Schuster did. So, a couple more days rest will give them full strength, so they'll be able to play this game. So, it's a little bit of advantage for Pittsburgh there, but really not that much of one. And then the defense was fantastic. And, you know, a lesser opponent, whatever, but they did what they were supposed to do. They kicked Jacksonville's ass. That's what they're supposed to do. They didn't really give up any big plays. They they dominated them. They did what they were supposed to do. I know they beat up nobodies. Cool, but you're supposed to beat them up. You know, it's not like the Dallas game where they had to crack, scratch and claw their way back to win that football game. They dominated from the set, just like Cincinnati, just like they did with Jacksonville this weekend. Mika Fitzpatrick, two interceptions. Terrell Edmonds with two interceptions. That was probably the most unlikely guy to get two interceptions was Terrell Edmonds, someone who's often kind of tore apart for the way he does defend the pass a lot. He's a really great tackler, but he just hasn't been making the the ball hawk plays that they kind of need back there. And he he played his probably his best game he's played as a Steeler against Jacksonville on Sunday. Jake Luton really helped him out a lot because he was absolutely dreadful, but defense was really good. They forced four turnovers for the second straight game. I mean, Jake Luton, I mean, he he really tried. He was he really tried. That's all I can say. He was out there. 16 to 37, 151 yards, four interceptions. James Robinson, 17 carries, 73 yards. He got a couple of good pops there towards the end, but it was all in garbage time, really. DJ Chart Jr. Four receptions, 41 yards. I mean, not a lot to talk about here for Jacksonville. It was a pretty dreadful start, especially coming off the way that they played against Green Bay to come in and just 
lay a complete egg in at home. So not a lot to talk about here for Jacksonville. A lot of great stuff for Pittsburgh here, but you know, we should be talking about Pittsburgh playing tomorrow night, but we're not. So we'll just go to a couple of insights from this game and then we'll start moving on. So this is the first 10-0 start in franchise history for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Chase Claypool, he's the first wide receiver in the Super Bowl era with 10-plus touchdowns in his first 10 career games. Deontay Johnson, he's the first Steeler since Juju Smith-Schuster in 2018 with 100-plus receiving yards in two straight games. He has three straight games with six-plus receptions and 70-plus, 75-plus yards. So he's been a machine, and he has over, I think it's, 60% of the target share so far. So him and Big Ben are really, really connecting. And I'm super glad I got Deontay Johnson in my fantasy draft in like round six. He has been a start one, wide receiver one every single week. It's insane. And you can't even think of starting of starting anyone else over him because of that target share he gets. It's one of the highest in the league. It's, it's absolutely insane. And in the defense, they extended their streak of one plus sack in a game to 67 straight games. If they get a sack, the last four games of the season here, the last four games that they play, they will overtake that streak for the longest streak in NFL history. They will pass the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who had 69. Jacksonville, they've allowed 24-plus points in nine straight games. That is a team record. Jake Luton's sub-20 passer rating was the lowest by a Jacksonville quarterback. Since Josh McCown, who had a 1.8 in Week 2, 2011, and news came out today, Doug Marone, he is not going back to Gardner Minshew. It looks like Gardner Minshew is still going to be out a little bit longer with that thumb injury, so they are starting giraffe neck Mike Glennon. I can't believe Mike Glennon was still playing football. Um, I'm shocked. I can't believe that guy is starting an NFL game this weekend. Um, it's pretty insane that that guy is still cashing checks he got a lot of money for no reason at all and um it's it's pretty crazy the talent discrepancy with a lot of these backup quarterbacks and uh you know there's a certain somebody who was talking this week and he kind of put out a video that he's still in shape and he's still ready to work and you know it just makes you think when you're watching Mike Glennon this week and you watch Ben DiNucci on Sunday Night Football and you watch a guy named what was his name uh Gilbert, what, what was his first name? I forget what his name was. Uh, play for Dallas, and mm, I just you watch Joe Flacco play on Sundays. It's just it's it's pretty crazy that there's still some quarterbacks who are cashing checks, and there's a guy out there who's still you know just sitting around waiting. But I'm not gonna get into that too much. So next game we'll get into the seven and three Cleveland Browns, the second place in the AFC North. Cleveland Browns they went twenty two to seventeen over still. NFC East division leaders, the Philadelphia Eagles, because of that goddamn tie. Ties are the dumbest thing in football. I can't believe we still let ties happen. What are we doing here? Just play another quarter. Play until somebody scores. What the fuck are we doing? Really, you play one overtime period. We're still tied? Go to college football rules. Everybody starts at 25. You each get an attempt. You just keep going back and forth. Who wouldn't want to watch that? It's not like it's something that was like, ah, turn that off. We don't want to watch that shit. We want to watch more football, so do it. I just, a tie is insane. Philadelphia is only leading this division because of a tie. They're going to win this division most likely because of a tie. It's, oh my God. I'm like, I'm really hot right now talking about this. Like, I'm almost sweating. It's, ugh, we'll, we'll get 
just we'll move on. We're talking about Cleveland here. This is good stuff for Cleveland. I'm not going to get mad about Philadelphia having a tie here. So Baker Mayfield, super efficient day. Again, not asked to do a lot. And that's Kevin Stefanski, chef kiss. It's absolutely beautiful what he's doing here. He was doing it before Nick Chubb got back, and now it's really in full effect here. Keith Baker under 25 pass attempts a game. He's not going to make any mistakes that way. Just hand the ball off right to Nick Chubb, right to Kareem Hunt, and let them do all the work. There's nobody on the outside for Baker to just sling it to every single down. That's not going to work here. Jarvis Landry is not that dude. Rashad Higgins is not that dude. This is this is what they have to do. This is winning football here. And I was seeing, you know, pro football focus is really down on Baker. A lot of people are down on Baker. Baker's making winning football plays, though. Baker isn't turning the ball over. Baker isn't giving these games away. They're 7-3 because Baker Mayfield is playing winning football. I know his numbers don't look that great. Whatever. Who cares? If you ask anybody, they'd rather win, and that's what Baker Mayfield is doing for this team right now. So 12-22, 204 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He did lose a fumble on a strip sack. Again, I'm not really going to crush him for that one, but he's taking care of the football. And, you know, this is the stuff we're talking about on the other end with Carson Wentz, who isn't taking care of the football, who isn't winning, who isn't making winning football plays. So, just Baker is just doing what he needs to do right now. And, I mean, when you got Nick Chubb, 20 carries, 114 yards. Kareem Hunt, 13 carries, 11 yards. That was insane. But it wasn't working, but they still gave the ball to Kareem Hunt because they stuck with what's working, and that's running the football here. So, I'm... I just love what Stefanski's doing, and he got the best out of Kirk Cousins last year doing stuff like this, and he's getting the best out of Baker Mayfield right now, and it's it's really working. Uh, Cleveland's really onto something here, and the defense is starting to play a lot better. They didn't have Miles Garrett last week. Uh, this week against Philadelphia, and they're going to be without Denzel Ward for a couple weeks now. He just got announced he's going to be an IR. The amount of, of talent that they've lost on defense for a collection of about four or five games, for them to be a 7-3 and three football team and be middle of the pack defensively, it's really it's a hell of a job by Steve Wilkes, and it's a great job by Kevin Stefanski. He should be getting some love for Coach of the Year. He isn't. I think he just now cracked the top 10 for betting odds in Vegas for Coach of the Year. So just wanted to see Kevin Stefanski's doing a hell of a job. And Rashard Higgins, Kadero Hodge, and... Austin Hooper, they each had three receptions. That's all really to report on the passing game there. It was just really, Baker was just handing that ball off, and he was doing a hell of a job doing it. Defense, they had four sacks. They had a safety. They had a pick six. Just a really great outing by that Cleveland defense, and I'm so glad I picked them up off the waivers and started them this week because my team completely shit the bed. Matt Ryan got me nine fucking points, so not great, Bob, when your defense gets you 30 points and then... Your quarterback gets you nine. Not great, especially when I'm in the hunt for the playoffs. Just not thrilled. And I went to go pick up Derek Carr today, and some some dickhead picked up Derek Carr when he already has three goddamn quarterbacks. Like, what are we doing here? Like, ugh, it's so I'm so frustrated with that. But anyway, we'll get into Carson Wentz, something that's not supposed to frustrate me. I said I was done caring about what he's done, but I still found myself wanting to rip out what little hair I have left on my head watching Carson Wentz play on Sunday. Jesus Christ. So Carson Wentz, 21-35, 235, two touchdowns, two picks, safety, sacked a million times, a lot of bonehead plays that still didn't turn into interceptions. That last interception he threw in the red zone there towards the end of the game, I don't know what the hell he was looking at. I don't know what he was trying to do. He threw it 
right into triple coverage to Alshon Jeffrey. The Denzel Ward came down with it. I don't know what he is doing. I really don't know. And Mac Wilson should have had a pick down in the, in the end zone when he threw it into triple coverage for no reason when the flat is wide open. I, I don't understand what the process is going on in his head. I don't know what happened to this dude. It's baffling to me. I really don't know. I I came into this season. I'm banging my fist on the table. Carson Wentz, top 10 guy, and I wouldn't be angry if I put him top 6 or 7. I could even make a Casey's top 5 like Orlowski was on the desk yelling about. Like, I'm high on Carson Wentz coming into this year, and his stock has just plummeted. And I am now on the team of, I said, on Saturday. Wentz stinks it up this game. You got to go to Jalen Hurts. You have to. You you have to go to Jalen Hurts now. And there's just there's no reason to keep Carson Wentz out there. There's just not. I don't care if he's making $30 million a year. I don't give a shit, man. It's a bad message you're sending to this team that he can keep being so bad at his job and keep his job. Like, you can't play this poorly all the time and just you just don't yank him or something like that. Like... What are we? Doug Peterson is a quarterback. What is he seeing that is like, you know what, if he just tweaks this and that? No, everything is bad. Throw it in the garbage. It can't get worse with Jalen Hurts. It literally can't. There's no way it could because it's, it's horrible and it's really painful. And I just, I, look, if he does not take advantage of this Seattle defense coming up on Monday Night Football, I don't know. I picked up Jalen Hurts in my fantasy league because I feel a bench coming. It's it's got to come. I mean, and uh, you know, Peterson said after the game he's sticking with Wentz. It would it would quote it would send a wrong message if we benched Carson. Now, what do you mean? It sends a wrong message if you keep putting this guy out there. He is hurting your football team. If you aren't putting the guys in position that give you the best chance to win. You're doing your football team a disservice, and that's what Doug Peterson is doing every Sunday now that he doesn't change the quarterback position. You used a second-round pick on Jalen Hurts. If you were so convinced that Carson Wentz is your guy, why wouldn't you take a a wide receiver in the second round? Why wouldn't you take a guard, a tackle, anything possible to help this guy out? You took a quarterback, a gadget guy that you're using right now, and you don't even really use you're using him like six or seven snaps a game. And when he is on the field, positive things happen. And every week you say, we're going to get him more roles. His role is going to expand every week. He's going to get more snaps. He's got to get more touches. He really changed. He adds something to this offense. And then his snap count will decrease. Or it will stay the same as before. Just pull the trigger, man. I, I really I don't understand what's happening here in Philadelphia. I really don't. It just disgusts me that this team is going to get a home playoff win because of a fucking tie with Cincinnati. Just, it's sickening. It really is. And Carson has been really bad. Just really, really bad. Oh, my God. I I don't even know what the, I just, I, I'm so sick and tired of the Philadelphia Eagles right now. I'm just sick to my stomach. And I can only imagine what the Philadelphia Eagles fans are going for. I My condolences to my younger brother and everybody else in Philadelphia. I'm so sorry. This is just, it's not fair to you guys. Doug Peterson is fucking you guys in the ass here by having Carson Wentz play every single week. At this point, it's just, it's a, he's spitting in your face. It's ridiculous, man. To use a second round pick on a guy, just pull Carson Wentz. It's not working, dude. It's just not, man. Ugh, just because you don't want to shake his confidence or whatever. He has no confidence as it is. What's the difference? It can't get worse, man. 
It could only get worse is if I played quarterback. That's the only way it would get worse. It, that's literally the only way. Anyway, so Baker Mayfield, he becomes the fourth Browns quarterback with seven-plus wins in a season since 1999. That's how dreadful it's been. And, again, I know Baker is not putting up the flashiest numbers. I know he's not setting the world on fire. But he's a competent quarterback back there. And Cleveland hasn't had that in a very long time. So, kind of the the midget stuff and the, the talking bad about him that Cleveland does. And it, look, he's not an elite quarterback. And that's fine, dude. That's fine. Your quarterback doesn't have to be an elite quarterback to win a Super Bowl. He really doesn't. We saw Nick Foles do it. He beat Tom fucking Brady, okay? You don't need an elite quarterback to do it. You just need a competent enough one who's not going to hurt you. And it looks like if putting in the right spots and the right scheme around him, Baker can be that guy. So just let's let's relax, everybody. Let's rejoice. So the other quarterbacks that he joined are Derek Anderson, Tim Couch, and Brian Hoyer. So, I mean, it's been rough for Cleveland quarterback-wise. Just just appreciate what you got here with Baker, okay? Just he's he's winning you football games, okay? Just just be just be happy. Christ. So this was the first win versus Philadelphia since week 11, 1994, where Billy Belichick was the head coach for Cleveland. So it's been a long time since they've beaten Philadelphia. Cleveland, they moved to 8-1 when Kareem Hunt scores a touchdown since 2019. They are 6-0 in 2020 when Kareem Hunt scores at least one touchdown. Wentz, he has a career-high 14 interceptions, 18 giveaways. He's been sacked three-plus times in eight consecutive games. He's just not moving around back there. And you know what Jalen Hurts does really well? I know for a fact he does really well. He moves really well. He is a very mobile guy. And I think that would help this offensive line out a lot. But, as I digress, we're going to keep Carson Wentz in there for some reason. And they're just going to let this dude just take a pounding every week. Like, that's not crushing his confidence at all. But let's not bench him. Let's, let's, handle, let's handle this guy with kid gloves. Ridiculous, man. And... I just, I really, man, this is a, I, in Seattle's defense, they are playing a little bit better each week, but this is still, this is a, a, a plus matchup doesn't even describe it for this Eagles offense, okay? And it looks like Zach Ertz is on his way to making his return on Monday night. That should help this offense out a lot too, but also run the fucking football still. So we were talking about this on Saturday. They're not giving Miles Sanders the ball enough. He only had 16 carries again. Run the football. It's just run the football. That's going to help Carson Wentz out so much, and they just refuse to do it. I, I just I don't understand it, man. Again, you can't trust people who wear sun visors. That's all. That's all you have to say. So, next game we're getting into. So, Tennessee thirty, Baltimore twenty four in overtime. So, oh man, it's the world. The sky is falling here in Baltimore, honestly, and uh, it's pretty annoying to listen to. But it's also delicious to listen to as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. But you know, it's it's rough. I'm I am the head of the table at Lamar Industries, and it's tough to see my son go through all these things and kind of the uh, the tearing down of Lamar that has subsequently begun since January of last year and has just lingered on into this year. Um, we're back to calling him a running back again. We're back to blaming him for the world's problems, and it's absolutely insane. If you've watched any of these games the past couple weeks, it is not Lamar's fault. Now, Lamar has made a couple bad throws, sure, but he's also made a lot of fantastic throws that a lot of quarterbacks in the league couldn't even make. 
But we're not going to look at those. We're just going to harp on the few interceptions that he has. He still only has five interceptions. He has five. And they're acting like this guy leads the league in picks. This isn't Carson Wentz we're talking. We're talking about Lamar Jackson who has five, five interceptions. And they're talking about this guy can't pass the football. It's whatever. So let's get into let's get into the game of this, and we'll we'll get into Lamar more here in a second. So Tannehill, twenty two of thirty one, two hundred fifty nine yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. He had four carries for thirty five yards. He used his legs at really great times. He saved a lot of drives there with just moving his legs and getting a first down. And Baltimore just didn't tackle well. This is another week in a row they just did not tackle well, playing flat out. It was one of the worst tackling performances I've ever seen this Baltimore team have in a very long time. And it's honestly, it cost them this football game. I mean, A.J. Brown forced seven missed tackles by himself on Sunday. That was the highest in a game since Alvin Kamara did it in like week two. So just poor tackling, just going after the ball for no reason. Just wrap up, man. And when that stuff works, that's great, man. But if you are not fundamentally sound in tackling these players, you are not going to you're not going to succeed, man. And that's exactly what happened to Baltimore on Sunday. And they couldn't stop Derrick Henry. I was talking about this on Saturday. This was not lining up to be a very good day for this Baltimore defense. The way that Damian Harris is running the football, it was only just going to be a precursor of what the hell Derrick Henry was going to do to this defense. And Frankly, they did a pretty good job in the first, you know, half and most of the third quarter. I thought Tennessee kind of went away from them a little bit too much in the first half, and then they just started. They hopped on Henry's back. They kept. They got to the point where they were close enough and they were within striking distance enough where they could still run the football. And Tennessee has done this all year. They did it against Pittsburgh. They got close enough to where they can get that running game going again. And they did the same thing against Baltimore. And Derrick Henry is a sledgehammer. It's okay tackling the first two quarters. After a while, you do not want that guy running at you. And that's exactly what happened on Sunday. It didn't help that they were missing Brandon Williams and Calais Campbell, but they they just ran all over them. And that overtime touchdown, there's just bad tackling. And uh, just bad, bad tackling. So Henry, 28 carries, 133 yards. He had the game-winning 29-yard touchdown in overtime. Corey Davis had a really great game. Five catches, 113 yards. A.J. Brown, four catches, 62 yards. And that touchdown, he broke four tackles and dragged a dude into the end zone. When he was dead to rights, he was six yards short of the first down. He breaks all those tackles, carries a dude in the end zone, puts them up. It's just just piss-poor tackling. That's all it was, man. And I mean, Corey Davis is wide open just about every pass because they did a really great job selling that 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 handoff on that play action, he was just wide open, and it was just it wasn't a very good game for Baltimore defensively, and uh, I, I I don't know, man. Uh, this team, I'm saying, oh yeah, this is a good team, but this defense isn't as great as people think it is. I was saying this last year about this defense; it's not as great as people think it is. You can do all these things, you can get all these takeaways, you can do all this shit when you're up a million points and you're fresh because the offense is on the field for 35, almost 40 minutes a game. You're fresh and you're flying around. And these offenses have nothing else to do but pass, 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 pass because they are so far behind and there is so little time to do anything. You can just sit pass. And they don't get after the quarterback. And Gakwe hasn't done anything since he's been traded there. You know, they you might as well have just given the Lombardi to Baltimore when Ngakwe trade went through the wire. I mean, I thought it was a great move. I thought it was going to be a great move. And... It hasn't done anything at all, so they got to figure some stuff out. And 
are they going to be able to get right against Pittsburgh? I don't know. I think they're going to have a hell of a game against Pittsburgh. They always do. It doesn't matter what the records are. This is always a hard-fought, tooth-and-nail game, except for a couple blowouts here and there that I remember. But Baltimore, they're in some trouble here. They really are. And the the center of it is it's the offense. It's Greg Roman's scheme. I was talking about Saturday. It's tired. It's cooked. We don't care anymore. It's predictable. It's lame. It's vanilla. We don't want to see this anymore. Okay? Just... And you just told us five days ago, this offense is going to take on a new identity. Okay, dude, when? When is that going to start? That identity should have started this season. Okay? You saw what Lamar did in that kind of college-style offense. Run a pro offense with him. You've seen it already. Lamar can make every throw. Lamar can make every play on the field. Give him the keys, and let's run a pro-style offense. Give him the keys like Russell Wilson has in Seattle. Christ, Sean Payton gave the keys to Taysom goddamn Hill. The guy who is the same age as me making his first NFL start, he gave him the keys to a pro-style offense. But we're still running this cupcake offense with Lamar Jackson, the reigning NFL MVP. This is what we're doing, man. It's it's insane. It's it's so frustrating to watch, man. It is so frustrating. It's like beating your head against the wall. It's so predictable and just bland. And you have one of the biggest weapons in the world, and you're just... You're not doing anything with it. Just unleash him. Just let him do whatever he wants to do. And ugh, oh God, I just can't get in. It's so, so annoying. So Lamar, 17-29, 186, a touchdown, a pick. He had 13 carries, 51 yards. J.K. Dobbins, 15 carries, 70 yards, and a touchdown. Dude was averaging almost six yards a carry. He only got 15 carries. Like, if you want to be a run-heavy offense, then run the goddamn football. You know, just run it then. But just they go through stretches where they get away from the running game when it's working. There's never been a point where it hasn't worked. This scheme, the running game works. There's never a point where it doesn't work. But they just go away with it like they're not ripping off five, six yards to carry. Ugh, God. Mark Andrews, five catches, 96 yards, a touchdown. Literally the only dependable guy that Lamar has. Willie Sneed is pretty reliable. It's it's not great for a quarterback when Willie Sneed is your best guy. Or Des Bryant is your best wide receiver, and he hasn't caught a ball in three years. Des was four receptions, 28 yards. His first catch since 2017 when that first grab he had. I mean, that's not good. That's not good at all for your offense if Des Bryant is your best wide receiver. That's not good. It's not good at all. And that pick that he threw, DuVernay just stopped running. I don't understand what he was doing. He stopped and looked like he was fielding a punt or something. If he would have kept running, that's a touchdown. And we're not even talking about Lamar sucks. Lamar's just a running back. He beats Tennessee. He 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 beats Tennessee. Big game. And we're talking about them moving on and playing Pittsburgh here. Uh, it's, I don't understand what DuVernay was doing there. I really don't. I mean, and Hollywood Brown had just a horrible drop in the middle of the field. Just wide open. Just drop. Mark Andrews drops. It's... I just don't know. I'm, there are so many throws Lamar puts a right on him and they drop it. It's like, what do you want him to do? What would you like him to do? I just don't get it. And the way the O-line is protecting, it's not well. It's not It's not good enough either. The amount of plays that Lamar makes that don't go down in the box score or something like that where he escapes so much trouble and he gets into a situation where he can either throw the ball away or he gets a yard or two. It's almost every pass play. It's insane the work that he has to do just to not have a negative play happen. But we're going to harp on all the negative things. So there's no pleasing anybody around here with Lamar now at this point. It's absolutely insane. It's what I forecasted was going to happen when I first started doing this podcast 
around the time that Baltimore had lost in the divisional round at home to Tennessee. So this town is turning on him. Knew that was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen when he got drafted. I was dreading when he got drafted here because I knew that this town was going to turn on him. They turned on Flacco pretty damn quick after they he won a goddamn Super Bowl and they turned on him. So what was Lamar going to do? I mean, I just... <sighs> I don't Baltimore, they were outgained 423 to 306 in this game, total yards. Tennessee outrushed Baltimore 173 to 129. I mean, that's Baltimore's MO here has been playing really good defense and running the football and outrunning their opponents and holding the ball longer than the other team. And it just it didn't happen. They're just not sustaining enough drives the past couple weeks. It's just I, I don't I don't know here, so I gotta take a drink here. The Lamar stuff, man. It's really it's really it's really burning me up, man. It's really burning me up. This it came to the point where I, I'm sure you picked up on this. I'm not the biggest Joe Flacco guy in the world. I know. Shocking, Tom. I know. Unbelievable. The way you talk about him, so sterling and everything. But there was a time I was actually defending Joe Flacco around here. And you know, I would say, you know, if you look at the stuff around here, it's not that great. All the stuff around him isn't that good. The line's not that great. He's kind of making, you know, you expect him to make chicken salad out of chicken shit, right? I mean, you got to look at all the parts together. And, you know, once Flacco had some confident things around there, he was still pretty mediocre, but he had that fantastic run where they won the Super Bowl, whatever. He finessed the Ravens out of $115 million. Good for him. But for the majority of it, it wasn't the greatest in the world. And Flacco, by any means, is not an elite quarterback. He never was, never will be. We can just move on from that point there. But... Flacco was doing the best he could with what he had. And this this town was like, oh, he sucks, he's garbage, we need to move on from him. It's like, you got to watch the game and just, in the totality of it, and just think about the situations that he's in. You look at what Lamar's in, I couldn't imagine really any quarterback succeeding with what's around him here, skill position-wise. I'm, I'm serious. Like, we like to talk about Deshaun Watson, what he's doing with, with nothing. But Brandon Cook's is a pretty damn good wide receiver. He's he's proved that in the league when he's healthy, he's a productive NFL wide receiver. Kenny Stills is a productive NFL wide receiver. Will Fuller is a productive NFL wide receiver. We have a track record of these things. Randall Cobb, when he's not injured, he's a productive NFL wide receiver. We've seen this stuff. They have track records of this. We don't have that in Baltimore with these skill position players. We really don't. We don't have a dude who has been like, Oh, yeah, he's been the guy before for a sustained period of time. That's not here. And, again, if Baltimore doesn't go receiver heavy in free agency or a trade or they their first couple picks is not a wide receiver, it is a disservice to Lamar Jackson. It is a disservice. It's This receiving room is not good enough. So I was slamming my hands on the table. I was screaming to the heavens, Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown. That is the move they need to make to just shake this offense up, give it some life, and it's just, it's it's plain. It's vanilla. You have the most exciting player in the world, on the planet, Lamar Jackson, and you have a vanilla offense somehow. So, uh, man, I just, it's frustrating, man. It really is. It's really, really frustrating. So, we'll get into some insights from this game here. So, Derrick Henry, he became the first player since 1991 with multiple overtime rushing touchdowns in a single season. He had the one game winner against Houston a couple weeks back. 
He is the fifth player in franchise history to score 50-plus touchdowns. He's also the fourth player in franchise history with 1,000 yards rushing in three straight seasons. He joins Earl Campbell, Eddie George, and Chris Johnson. So, I was talking about the turnovers thing. So, we like to glare at the inability for Lamar to pass. You know, he's a running back. Blah, blah, blah. He's a glorified running back. Blah, blah, blah. He's not the answer to quarterback. You weren't saying that shit when he was winning MVP last year and wrecking the league. All good when he led the NFL in passing touchdowns from the pocket. That's Lamar Jackson, the running back. He did that. So, anyway. 16 quarterbacks right now. 16 quarterbacks have more interceptions than Lamar. Lamar has five. He has five. Okay? Russell Wilson has 10. Tom Brady has nine. He actually has, what, 11 now after Monday Night Football? So, yeah, he has 11 interceptions. Kyler Murray has eight. Carson Wentz has 13. He has 14 now. He has 14 interceptions now. And we are complaining about Lamar Jackson having five interceptions. I just, what what more do you want? Really, what more do you want? You're also... a you're still in the hunt for the playoffs. This isn't a, a bottom-dwelling team. This isn't a team that's been struggling to win the past couple of years. This is a dude who has lost six career games, and you are bitching still. You are bitching still. Unbelievable. This fan base, man, drives me nuts. Drives me, I can't listen to the radio any. I can't listen to the radio. All people do is just bitch about Lamar. Jesus Christ. Just absolutely, absolutely insane, man. I mean, if you look at this offense the past three games, they are 27th in yards per play. They are 30th in explosive passing plays. They're 24th in rush yards per attempt. I mean, that's kind of what this offense was predicated on last year. A lot of big plays in the passing game with Hollywood and Mark Andrews and explosive running plays. And all the explosive running plays they've had this year, it's because of Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has the majority of their explosive plays. The reason that they are a top three rushing attack every single week is because of Lamar Jackson. So just take it easy. Get your head out of your ass. Just watch this with just a clear vision, clear conscience, clear head, and just watch this. No biases at all. Just watch it. And you'll see Lamar is the reason that any of this is working. If Lamar is the reason that any of this is even remotely close to football games that they're losing. So just, again, I told you last week. I told you Saturday. Breathe. Relax. Like the great Aaron Rodgers said, relax. Chill out. I need to chill out myself. I'm yelling at people on the internet I don't know. I'm yelling at people that I do know all the time about this. I tried to say I wasn't going to get in Lamar Wars. You know, a couple months ago, I said I wasn't going to do it this year. I'm not going to do it. And I've fallen right into it. And I've done it. So I need to relax myself. But God, Lamar, talking about Lamar really, really gets me pissed off. But uh, this, is a, this is a big week. For Baltimore coming up here now on Sunday. You're expected to get Clay's Campbell back. You're going to get Brandon Williams back. You should have a full complement on defense here. Lamar has to be Superman to win this game. He can't have four turnovers again. And this is still, it was a close football game. As sloppy as he was with the football, as well as the offense was, you know, playing in the first half, it's the exact opposite the way they played in the second half. They got away with what was working, and they beat themselves. Are they going to do that again on Sunday? I don't know. But we'll get more into that on Friday or Saturday when I preview Week 12. But big, big week coming for Lamar here. And I'm 
I certainly hope he steps up to the plate um, for my sake, my sanity. Next game we'll get into the Washington football team 20, the Cincinnati Bengals 9. Uh, talking about this game just bums me out here, so we'll get through the numbers real quick. So Alex Smith, 17 to 25, 166 yards, touchdown, a pick. Antonio Gibson, 16 carries, 94 yards, touchdown. Scary Terry, my boy, Terry McLaurin, five receptions, 84 yards. Biggest thing from this game, Joe Burrow blows his knee out. ACL, MCL, other structural damage. Be lucky if he's back before mid-2021 season. Just a horrible injury. Just 2020 really just sucks, 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 sucks. Just horrible, man. Just really, really terrible. And I know Cincinnati wasn't winning a bunch of games, but they were close. They were entertaining. Joe Burrow's doing fantastic things on the football field, and he kind of just, you, you kind of felt like Cincinnati's got a chance here to do something, to kind of turn the corner. There are a couple pieces here or there from really competing. And then you see Burrow go down in a heap, and you're just like, why? Why does, why does he have to get hurt? That's so Cincinnati, man. And we're going to get Ryan Finley for the next couple weeks. So, uh, uh, God, it's brutal, man. So Cincinnati goes from a football team that you, you know, you generally were kind of interested in watching to, please, God, what did I do to deserve watching Ryan Finley play quarterback? That's another guy, Ryan Finley. He's, he's cashing checks. He's playing quarterback, but. Anyway, that's that's the biggest thing to take from this game. Washington, I thought they they played pretty well. Smith, he did a really great job. He won his first game since 2018. Great. You know, it was a good story, but it's kind of just dwarfed to Joe Burrow going down. Just uh just really sucks. That was uh that was a real bummer from Sunday. That was it's still like processing it is still just like it's just such a fucking bummer, man. He was so much fun to watch and Cincinnati just becomes just more irrelevant now. So big game for Washington here. They're still in the running for the NFC East title. So that's a kind of a big important game in the four o'clock slate on Turkey Day against Dallas. If you didn't eat too much turkey and you don't fall asleep from boredom, but could be a pretty good fun game. Dallas is playing some pretty good football here. Washington is playing some decent football. So Maybe we'll have a competent game. The, the Cowboys look a little bit different with Andy Dalton in there than Gucci Danucci, but still, that's that's a hard pass, that game. But it is what it is. That's, that's what we have to watch. That's all we have. So next game, we'll move on to New Orleans, 24. The Atlanta Falcons, 9. Taysom Hill, my favorite quarterback, man. He is top of the rankings above Josh Allen as some of my favorite, favorite players. Taysom Hill, yuck. So Steve Old. 18-23, 233, 10 carries, 51 yards, two touchdowns, and a fumble lost. Alvin Kamara, 13 carries, 45 yards, and a touchdown. This was the first career game without a reception in Alvin Kamara's career. So that was pretty insane. And Michael Thomas, nine catches, 104 yards. Emmanuel Sanders, four receptions, 66 yards. The defense was a story, though, as much as people will try and tell you that it was Taysom Hill and he proved all the doubters wrong and blah, blah, blah. It was the defense. They smothered Matt Ryan. Eight sacks, two picks. That offense was shut down. New Orleans has had the best defense in the NFL since their bye week. They've been just unstoppable. They've been a juggernaut. The front seven is getting after the quarterback. The back end is playing a lot better than they were at the beginning of the year where... You know, I was trying to, you know, this is a top five defense in the league. And the first couple of weeks of the season, it's like, am I am I stupid or something? Am I, is there something I'm just not seeing here? Like, 
this should be one of the best defenses in football, but they've really tightened the screws here. They've only given up like 17 and a half points a game since the bye. They've been unstoppable. And this isn't just anybody. This, this Atlanta Falcons team, they're pretty good offensively. And, you know, Julio's a little banged up towards the end. When is he not banged up? But they were just smothering poor old Matt Ryan. I felt really bad for him. He was just getting killed back there. But for Taysom Hill... Like I was, I was alluding to earlier, Sean Payton gave him the keys to a Ferrari, and it's Lamar is still just kind of running, you know, a generic, basic little offense that you expect a, a first-year quarterback to be running. He kind of gave Taysom Hill the keys. He did a couple wrinkles there because of Taysom Hill's running ability, but it was still this was the Saints' offense. He just ran it, and it was he did he did okay. I mean, it's against Atlanta's defense, who also have been playing a lot better defense, but that's still... These aren't world beaters. This is still one of the worst defenses in football, so I don't understand all the think pieces where we go, Taysom Hill proved everybody wrong, and he could be a franchise quarterback. No. No, he couldn't, but he had a really good game. I'm interested to see how he bounces back the next week, but uh, he didn't answer it. All the doubts are still there. I don't understand how anybody could be like, yeah, I'm sold. Like, off one game? Like, relax. Uh, I mean, Lamar Jackson just did all that stuff in a 16-game season. We're still sitting here going, uh, I don't know if this could work. I don't know. Taysom Hill has one good fourth quarter worth of football, and you're like, yep, I'm sold. Okay, man. Uh, okay. I, I want to say it's something, but I'm not going to get into it. But there, there's something there. It's it's something fishy's going on there. But the Falcons offense, not much to report here. Matt Ryan... 19 to 37, 232 yards, two picks, nine fantasy points for your boy here. So that was great. Todd Gurley, eight carries, 26 yards. Calvin Ridley, five catches, 90 yards. Julio banged up all day, two receptions, 39 yards. He is a game time decision for Sunday with a hammy. He's always got some kind of hamstring injury, quiet quad injury. It's just very frustrating with Julio Jones and just that soft tissue stuff just really kicks his ass. So, ugh couple insights here. So I was talking about this New Orleans defense, how great it's been. They have held opponents under 25 points in five straight games in route to a seven-game winning streak they're on here. Alvin Kamara, he became the first player in NFL history with 500-plus receiving yards and 500-plus rushing yards in each of the first four seasons. The guy is an absolute machine. Michael Thomas, he passed Jarvis Landry for the most receptions in the first five seasons in NFL history. Breeze, he just now broke another rib somehow. I don't know how he keeps breaking ribs. What is it? He broke like 11 ribs? A lot of people were like, do you even have that many ribs? You do, but it's insane how many ribs he's broken. And it just comes out every other week that, you know, every other day he's broken another rib. And it's speedy recovery for Drew Brees. Apparently he'll be back in a couple weeks here, but I don't know. We'll we'll see, what, uh, you know, if Taysom Hill can keep this bus a rolling, they'll probably, you know, take their time with Drew Brees coming back. But he has another, if he has a couple tire fires in there, they're like, all right, Drew, you're all right. Put a flat jacket on. You'll be okay. Romo did it. Next week, we're gonna, next one we'll get into, easy enough for me to say, the Houston Texans 27, the New England Patriots 20, Deshaun Watson 28-37, 347, 344 yards, two touchdowns, six carries, 36 yards, and a touchdown. I don't know what these recent kind of thing of Deshaun Watson, like, isn't that good or something like that, or, like, he's overrated, or there's kind of, like, some negativity around Deshaun Watson. I don't know where this is coming from. I think it's because of that ESPN ranking that they came out with, ranking franchise quarterbacks potentially. And it was Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence, which is insane. Trevor Lawrence hasn't even played a snap in the NFL yet. We don't even know if he'll be good. He could be Ryan fucking Lee for all we know. 
but he's second in franchise quarterbacks. Okay. Deshaun Watson was third. A lot of people are like, oh, no way, Watson sucks. In what way does Deshaun Watson suck? What way does Deshaun Watson suck in football? In what way? He's having one of the most efficient seasons in NFL history right now, passing the football, with a horrendous offensive line and an abysmal running running game. He's their best runner. Uh, it's just, he's their best player. Head and shoulders, and it's not even close. And, you know, Dan Garziano on ESPN goes, well, if they were winning more games, he'd be in the MVP conversation. Yeah, no shit, dickhead. Of course he would be. But he's not in the MVP conversation because they've won two games. So, anyway, that's not a testament on Deshaun Watson. You know, me to kind of tweet out, like, if, you know, Deshaun Watson is the embodiment of wins is not a stat against a quarterback. You know, and it's not really a stat for a quarterback either. You just kind of have to look at what they're doing on the field, you know. And Deshaun Watson is playing some of the best football of anybody in the league. But if you look at his record, it it doesn't, nobody cares because they have two wins. So he was really great again. And he was the sole reason they won this football game because Houston really couldn't get a lot of stops on Cam here. Cam played really great passing the football. He's really efficient. This offense was pretty efficient, but... New England's defense just couldn't stop Deshaun at all. And when they had crunch time plays and they needed to get stopped, they, they couldn't do it. And Deshaun just kept them in control of this football game. I mean, he was the leading rusher with 36 yards. I mean, it's it's just not – this running game is just horrific. And, you know, Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, Joe Atkins, 80-plus receiving yards each. And, you know, Kiki Kuti – Randall Cobb, they each had a touchdown. They outgained New England. They were outgained by New England, 435 to 399. They had less time of possession. They were only 45% on third down compared to New England's 53%. But Sean Watson made the plays that needed to be made. He made football winning plays, and it actually led to a win for once because the defense was able to get a stop last play of the game. Cam, 26 of 40, 365 yards, touchdown. He had three carries for six yards, so... It's kind of strange that they didn't kind of run Cam more, especially when Rex Burkhead went down. Damian Harris only had 11 carries for 43 yards. The running game just, it kind of was stagnant, and it was kind of stale, and I was kind of surprised McDaniels didn't do more Cam keepers, but he was throwing the football really well, so I guess that's why they stuck with it, but you're not going to win what Cam's throwing 40 times in the year 2020. You're not going to do that. This is in 2015 MVP Cam here. This isn't this isn't that version of Cam here. He, he should have been running the football a lot more, but he was very efficient throwing the football, and it was it was nice to see him. He was giving the ball with some zip. He was throwing the ball down the field, especially to Demir Bird. Six catches, 132 yards, and a touchdown. James White, six catches, 64 yards. Rex Burkhead, unfortunately, like I said, he went down, and it turns out he tore his ACL. So New England's defense didn't help him out at all. No no sacks, no turnovers. And this is against a, a Houston team that gives up a lot of sacks and they give up a lot of quarterback pressure and they just weren't really any pressure into Sean Watson's face at all. So Houston, they moved to 40-4 and when leading at halftime since 2014. Deshaun Watson moves to 2-2 two and two versus New England. He's the only Houston quarterback to beat them since 2010. All the other quarterbacks are combined 0-4. He is the fourth quarterback in NFL history with 250-plus rushing yards and 15-plus passing touchdowns in each of the first four seasons. He is the eighth quarterback in NFL history with 19-plus passing touchdowns in each of the first four seasons. He has one-plus passing touchdown in every game so far in 2020. That is tied for a franchise record. Deshaun Watson's been playing incredible. In-fucking-credible. 
He only has one game this year where he has a passer rating under 75. He's been incredible, dude. And I wish they were winning more football games so we could have more positive conversations about Deshaun Watson, but he's been incredible. And I kind of wish that thing would kind of stop that he stinks and he's not any good. But this team is terrible. Deshaun Watson's good. There's a difference between those things. It's it's not correlated at all. It's Deshaun Watson's good, Texans bad. That's It's really that simple. For New England, this is the first time that they are below 500 through 10 games since 2000. Been a long time. New England, they've allowed 16 passing touchdowns so far in 2020. They had 13 all of 19. So, again, there are people still pointing at Cameron Newton as the reason this team is so bad. This team went from number one and DVOA last year to dead last. This defense is a disaster. But we're still talking about Cam Newton is the problem. Just just look, just watch the games. Don't look at the headlines. Don't read what these idiots are writing. Just watch the New England Patriots, and you tell me what the problem is. The problem is their defense. All I need to show you is what Joe Flacco did Monday Night Football two weeks ago. That's your answer. That's the problem with New England. There it is right there. That's the tape you need to watch. The defense is terrible. It's really bad. It, there's no other way to put it. So, has Cam not played the greatest in games? Sure. But that defense is not doing him any favors whatsoever. So, let's kind of let's relax on that shit, okay? Just, just settle down. There are other things that are much bigger problems than Cam Newton's play here. Ugh. So, Denier Bird talked about he got a touchdown earlier. That was only the second wide receiver receiving touchdown that they've had so far in 2020. And Cam, he has already passed Steve Grogan for the most quarterback rush attempts by a Pats quarterback in team history with 81. So, I would like to see that number a lot higher, honestly, because they really needed him to run the football and kind of give them a spark there. But, you know, McDaniels wasn't calling it. So, let's move Let's move on to another just what the what the hell happened here? So I was talking about Matt Matricia. He's doing a great job. Fat Matricia is actually coaching pretty well here, and I'm actually giving him some kudos. And this team, they're somehow 4-5. and five. <sighs> Carolina 20. Detroit 0. What? Not even... Oh, Teddy Bridgewater had a good game. Teddy Bridgewater didn't play. Christian McCaffrey didn't play. They played P.J. Walker. The XFL's P.J. Walker, who gets his first career win. And not only that... They get shut out to Carolina, who just got 45-pieced by Tampa Bay. Zero points. How Detroit is this game here? Just uh, That's all I, I was watching this game. I was like, this game is so Detroit. And that's all I was going to type in, honestly, for this game. I was like, Detroit was Detroit. And that was it. But P.J. Walker was really good. He had a couple boneheaded picks, expected, from a guy who's playing in the XFL just a couple months ago. But... He made some really, really great throws, and he made some really bad ones. But again, first career start in the NFL. Good for him, man. 24-34, 258 yards, touchdown, two picks. Mike Davis in relief for Christian McCaffrey again. 19 carries, 64 yards, and a touchdown. DJ Moore, seven catches, 127 yards. Curtis Samuel, eight catches, 70 yards, and a touchdown. Defense had five sacks on Matthew Stafford. Speaking of Stafford, 18-33, to 178 yards. I was talking about no DeAndre Swift, so it's going to be Adrian Peterson, Kerryon Johnson. They're sharing the workload. 13 carries combined for 35 yards. Not great. Not great at all. It's against a very, very passive 
you know, rush defense for Carolina. Saw what Ronald Jones did last week, and these two just did absolutely nothing. Only bright spot for Detroit's offense, per usual. TJ Hawkinson, four catches, 68 yards. They only had 185 yards total. They were 21% on third down. They only had 23 minutes time of possession. Carolina had it for 37 minutes. This is Carolina's first shutout since week two, week 14, 2015, if I can get that out. This was the first time that Detroit was shut out since week six in 2009. Dante Culpepper was the starting quarterback. I completely forgot that Dante Culpepper was the starting quarterback for the Detroit Lions at one point. I kind of blacked out on Dante Culpepper's career after he went to Miami. I kind of just like moved that all to just a dark, dark place in my in my mind. But I forgot about him playing for the Detroit Lions and I'm really glad I did, but then I looked back into it, and I was very sad that I did that. Carolina, they joined the 2012 Saints as teams to register a shutout after following a 40-plus 5-point loss the week prior. P.J. Walker, he joined Kyle Allen, Matt Moore, and Chris Winkie to win their first starts for the Carolina Panthers. Carolina entered Week 11 with the second-lowest sacks in the NFL with five. They had five on Matthew Stafford, so... Offensive line didn't play well. There's a lot of bad snaps. Stafford was de- dealing with a bum hand, you know, his throwing hand. He's got a, a really bad thumb there. He's got some kind of problem with it, but it's a pretty good bounce back for them opportunity here against Houston on Turkey Day. So maybe that'll be something to look forward to here. I mean, the way that Detroit season's been going, it's been a roller coaster up and down, up and down, up and down. So you figure they had an extreme low here, so probably a really high, high tomorrow on Thanksgiving Day. Next game, we'll move into the Chargers, 34, the Jets, 28. This game got way too close for comfort here. Uh, boy, it really felt like the Chargers were going to Chargers this game, and we were going to talk about them losing to the 0-9 New York Jets and Joe Flacco, but it uh, you know it was not to be. But, geez, we really sweating this game out here. So, Justin Herbert, he was fantastic. You know, what else is new? 37 of 49, 366 yards, three touchdowns. Kalen Balage, 16 carries, 44 yards, seven receptions for 27 yards. They did just activate Austin Eckler off the IR, so he will be back. So, no more having to suffer through Kalen Balage. Austin Eckler will be back for this high-powered Chargers offense. Keenan Allen had him a day. Jesus. 16 receptions for 145 yards and a touchdown. It was a franchise record, 16 receptions. Keenan Allen, uh, one of the most underrated wide receivers in football. It's he's one. Of, he is the best route runner in football. He's not the fastest dude in the league, but the amount of separation he gets per route is insane. His hands, nuts. I think he has the most receptions in the league without a drop. The the man is a machine, and um, I wish a lot of people would give him his his flowers. You know, he's he's a really great wide receiver, man, and just not talked about enough. He really is, and he's criminally underrated. And Mike Williams, four catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown. Hunter Henry, he finally joined the party. Four catches, 48 yards, and a touchdown. Chargers offense is just it's so good. It is so good. And that throw that Herbert made for Keenan Allen, for a touchdown, sliding left, and the rope that he threw in the corner of the end zone was just like, it looked like a throw in Madden. It was just insane. The arm talent that Justin Herbert has, it's 
it's fucking nuts. I still can't get over how good Justin Herbert is. I I really feel like a complete moron for how hard I was on the Chargers for taking Herbert instead of taking Tua. But it looks like I'm a moron for saying that, especially when we'll talk about what happened with Tua and the Dolphins. But, God, Herbert has been a lot of fun, man. And speaking of, of fun, the exact opposite of fun, Joe Flacco, 15-30, 205 yards, two touchdowns, interception, just a, a just a hilariously bad pick six inside his own five yard line. He's staring the dude down the whole time and get the pick six. Just complete nightmare. But this is the people that are people say we need Joe Flacco back around here. This team would be better if they had Flacco. And it's like, okay, man, do you watch the Jets or I mean, are you just pulling stuff out of your ass? I mean, whatever. Frank Gore, still still doing it, man. Fifteen carries, sixty one yards, and a touchdown. Just. Frank Gore, man, he's going to be doing this forever. I mean, my my children are going to be watching Frank Gore run the football, and it's it's kind of funny, and it's also really awesome to watch. It's it's insane how he's still doing this, especially after that horrific knee injury in Miami. He's like, yo, this guy's never going to play football again, and then he's still doing it. And it's kind of a question if he's a Hall of Fame running back. Okay, man. Rashard Perriman, Chris Herndon, they had a touchdown each. Who gives a shit about the Jets' offense. So Justin Herbert, he became the first rookie quarterback in NFL history. I feel like I'm saying that a lot after every single game. He's the first rookie quarterback in NFL history to do blank. But he's the first quarterback in NFL history, rookie quarterback, that is, with two-plus touchdowns in seven consecutive games. He has the fourth-fewest career games to 20 passing touchdowns in NFL history. Keenan Allen, he passed Marvin Harrison for fourth-most receptions by a player in their first 100 career games since 1970 and my favorite statistic Joe Flacco is 2 and 13 and his last 15 starts but he is still making money somehow playing quarterback it makes no sense next game we'll get into this one really threw me off here Denver 20 Miami 13 this game was just a what the fuck just watching this entire game was just what so Drew Locke, 18-30, 270 yards and an interception. He played terrible. And Melvin Gordon, 15 carries, 84 yards and two touchdowns. Cool. That's a really great deadline. But he fumbled at the one-yard line with a potential to put the game away. So that he dodged a real bullet on that one. That was just a horrendous just a horrendous fumble. It was just one of those was like, my God, Melvin Gordon, what are you doing? Philip Lindsay, he's been great since he came back. He's really been a shot in the arm for this offense. If they're just continually running the football which they get away from at times, and that's when Drew Locke gets into trouble. But when they just hand the ball off with these two workhorses, just give them the ball and get out of the way, good things happen. He had 16 carries for 82 yards. Tim Patrick, five receptions, 119 yards. Justin Simmons, he had the interception on Ryan Fitzpatrick in the end zone to seal a win. They had five sacks on Tua. Tua looked like he he like twisted the shit out of his ankle pretty good, and he thought, okay, so Brian Flores pulls Tua. All right, so he's protecting him from injury. Okay. Then immediately it comes out, yeah, Tua's not dealing with an injury. It's for performance. What? It's for performance? What do you... He's not playing bad. He's just been on his back the entire time. What did you want him to do? Tua was 11 for 20, 83 yards and a touchdown. And he was benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick. They were down 10 points at the time. Fitz came in, he went 12 of 18, 117 yards, and that interception there in the end zone to potentially tie the game. Miami had 56 yards rushing. Devontae Parker, 6 catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown from Tua. They were outgained 459 to 223. They allowed 7.3 yards per play. They only had 3.7 yards per play themselves. So, 
This was one of the most puzzling things I've ever seen. I think this is kind of more puzzling than what Doug Peterson is doing in Philly. Brian Flores, who I was just talking about on Saturday, who I love. I want him to get a lot, all the coach of the year buzz, and I want him to probably win the trophy. What are you doing with your starting quarterbacks? Just what are you doing, dude? So you started undefeated, and then you benched the guy who got you undefeated. Okay, cool. So you're going, you're you're turning the page here. We're going with the young guy. We're going to see what he's got. He's going to lead us the way. And Mina Kimes was actually really just perfect with it. She is one of the best to ever do it. She was talking about how Miami's timeline is all jacked up because so you took a quarterback early. You took a quarterback top five. And then you have Ryan Fitzpatrick, journeyman. You're expecting just him to play and not, you know, shit himself and kind of keep you in some football games. But here you are. You're competing. You're not only competing every game, you're winning. You're you're in the playoff hunt. But you also, you have a young quarterback, and you want to see where he's at. So those timelines are so warped and just all together. Uh, Brian Flores looks like he's having a lot of trouble of, like, what am I doing here? But in the fall, too, like, what are you doing? You're down 10 points. Okay, you lose this game. Cool, man. But this is this is really important reps for a young quarterback, man. This is important stuff that he has to do, man. He has to eat a loss. He's got to eat some shit. You're down 10-0. You're down 10 points. Figure it out. Put a drive together. Get your team back in it. He needs to do that stuff. And what's going to happen the next time, like, they're down 10 points again. Are you pulling Tua again? And you're putting Ryan Fitzpatrick in? Is Tua going to have the confidence to throw the football because he can't be aggressive and make a mistake because you're going to get pulled for, for Ryan Fitzpatrick again? It's just, it's completely stupid. It's the dumbest thing that I've seen so far this season. I just, it didn't make sense. And to, to go out of his way and say, ah, it wasn't injury, it was performance. Dude, what are you doing? Like Ryan Clark said, lie to me. Just tell me, yeah, it was for injury. How hard was that? Why did you have to... No, it was performance-based. What do you mean? How was it performance-based? And then you go, no doubt about it. Yeah, he's starting against the Jets next week. Okay. Uh, I just... I don't understand what the hell Brian Flores was doing there. Just very puzzling. The whole game was puzzling because they got just dominated all facets by Denver. And the way that Denver played last week coming into this game, they got dominated by Las Vegas and the way that Miami's been playing and how I've been, you know kissing their feet this entire season so far and just glowingly talking about them and Tua and for them to lay an egg like this it was just it was kind of just weird here so uh, Denver gained 450 plus yards and allowed less than 225 yards so this was the first time they did that since week 8 of 2015 they are 24 and 0 in such games so far in their franchise's history. Drew Locke, he has one plus interception in six straight games. That is the longest streak by a Denver quarterback since Case Keenum in 2018. So Locke, it's still a roller coaster ride. That defense wasn't getting after two of the way it did. They probably would have lost this football game. And then we're going, oh, maybe John Elway did not find his franchise quarterback. Still don't think he did, but that's that's another that's another conversation to have here. So Miami, they have one plus takeaway in 16 straight games. That's the longest streak in the NFL. Defense is playing really well. Tua, he has one plus touchdown in four straight games. That's the longest by a Miami rookie quarterback since, you guessed it, Dan Marino in 1983. Any quarterback record, it it's always Dan Marino in, in Miami. You could just, you know it's Dan Marino. 
Tua, he is the fourth quarterback in the Super Bowl era to throw six-plus touchdowns and zero interceptions over his first career four starts. So I just I don't know how you go uh, performance-based to pull Tua there. I just I don't know. He's got six touchdowns and zero picks so far, and they're moving the ball okay. I mean, it's it's not, you know, it's not great. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't moving the ball so great either. This is still a bottom feeder offense, regardless if it was Fitzpatrick or Tua. I just, again, I thought that was very valuable reps for Tua to have just going forward to kind of just be in a game like that where you got to kind of make a play and spark your team and make a comeback. He's kind of been in the lead the entire time. He hasn't really faced a whole lot of adversity so far. The Arizona game, he made a, he did a good job of bringing them back and winning that football game. So I just don't understand why he didn't have confidence in him to do it against Miami. Or against Denver, it just it felt like Miami just needed one one play that kind of would have sparked the offense, and they just they just didn't get it the entire game. So again, uh, I just Flores is sticking with him, so that's good at least. That was good news. I was I was kind of worried that he was gonna be like, oh, we'll see how practice goes, but he was like, no, nah, two is the guy, no question about. It. So good, that's good to know. So next game we'll get into. This was a really good game. I was talking about Saturday. It has a really potential to be a really great game, and it was. Indianapolis 34, Green Bay 31 in overtime. So Phillip Rivers 24-36, 288 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. I put the nail in the coffin of Phillip Rivers a while ago, and he has just, he's been fantastic since I did that, and it's really great. I'm such I'm such a huge Philip Rivers fan. I love that guy so much, man. I bought his I bought his Chargers jersey when he got drafted. Like I loved Philip Rivers so much and it's great to see him play good football because he's such a great guy and he's had some pretty shitty luck in his career and people beat him up a lot over stuff, but guy, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback and he kind of doesn't get enough love for what he does, but this was a really great game on Sunday and he had to be to bring him back down from where they were. He was really sharp, and it, it was just, it was really great Phillip Rivers game. It really was. Jonathan Taylor, finally, he had a really good game, and he's been scuffling the past couple weeks, but he finally, that Green Bay defense was talking about on Saturday, it is just, run all over me, please. Uh, 22 carries, 90 yards, four catches, and 24 yards. Michael Pittman Jr., he's starting to be the guy for Phillip Rivers here. Three catches, 66 yards, and a touchdown. Trey Burton had a touchdown. Indianapolis, they trailed 28 to 14 at half, and Phillips just put him on his back, and he got he got hot, and Green Bay just couldn't get any stops. They just couldn't get any stops, and that's been the problem for this defense most of the year. And this Green Bay offense, it's a machine. They put up 30 plus points with their eyes closed, but that defense just they're just not getting enough stops, and that's that's ultimately that's going to be their demise. I don't care how great Aaron Rodgers has been. I don't care what planet Devontae Adams is from. It's just the defense has to give some resistance. They have to, and they're just not doing it right now. But speaking of Rodgers, he was 27-38, 311 yards, three touchdowns and a pick to get them into overtime. What a throw by him. Third and long, he's inside his own end zone. Just he dropped it absolutely in the bucket to Marquez Valdez-Scantley there to get them down the field and then a couple plays later gets them right into field goal range to take that into overtime. But, man, what a fucking throw. He is He's a wizard. He's an absolute... He's a warlock like Pat McAfee calls him. He's a warlock. The dude is... 
he's insane with the football, and he's just uh, still just such a pleasure to watch. And Aaron Jones bottled up this this Indianapolis defense did a really great job stopping the run there and kind of making Green Bay one dimensional. Aaron Jones ten carries, forty one yards, four catches for thirty yards. Devontae Adams he's still doing whatever he wants to do. It's his world, and we're just living in it right now. Adams, seven catches, 106 yards, and a touchdown. Robert Tanyan, five catches, 44 yards, and a touchdown. I was just saying, Marquez Valdez-Scanley had the big play there, and then he has the biggest play of the game, fumbles the ball in overtime, gives Indianapolis the ball, and they get right into field goal range and win the football game. Just, just sucks. He's been playing some really good football the past couple weeks, and uh, just it was a tough, it was a tough play. I mean, he got a hold on to the football there, but he was trying to make a guy miss on a screen play there, and just lost the football, cost him the game. You feel so bad. He's been playing just really. He's playing some of the best football of his career, and just sucks, man. I hope he doesn't get up in the doghouse or something like that, or has some kind of like confidence issues. But he played really good. So, again, so Philip Rivers he tied Brett Favre for the fourth most 100 plus passer rating game since 1950. He has 108. Rodgers he has nine games. With two plus touchdowns and a 100 plus passer rating, that's by far the most in the NFL. Dude's been a machine. Green Bay, they scored 30 plus points in seven of 10 games so far in 2020. That's the first time they've done that since 2011. Adams, he has a touchdown in five straight games. Aaron Jones finally gets a touchdown. It's his first one in the last three games. He had one plus touchdown in each of the first five games of the season. So they got to get Aaron Jones back going. That offense was. You know, it's good right now, but it's at another level, almost unstoppable juggernaut level when Aaron Jones is running the football effectively and he's getting into the end zone. So before he's got to cook something up to figure this thing out, I'm sure he will. You know, as much as I talk shit about him, he does have a really great scheme and he's a, he's a really brilliant offensive mind. So I'm sure they'll get things going. Plus, Aaron Jones has got to knock the rust off. He's been out for a little bit. He, he'll, get, he'll get going. He's way too talented to not get it going. So next game we'll get into... A surprisingly fun game here between Dallas and Minnesota. Dallas picks up the win, 31 to 28. The Red Rifle, Andy Dalton, 22 of 32, 203 yards, three touchdowns, and interception. We had a Zeke sighting. We had an actual Ezekiel Elliott sighting on Sunday. 21 carries, 103 yards, two catches, 11 yards, and a touchdown. Zeke looked really good for once. He's finally looked. He finally looked Zeke-ish, and. Tony Pollard looked really good, too. He really popped. Uh, he only had five carries, but he had 60 yards and a long touchdown. Again, he just looks so spry and quick compared to Zeke, but Zeke looked really patient. He was hitting the holes. He looked really good, and he didn't fumble the football. So maybe this is more to come of Ezekiel Elliott. We'll see if he can keep doing that on Turkey Day tomorrow, but good to see for Dallas. Dallas looked like they had some life offensively. So with a somewhat competent quarterback in there, you can see what this, this offense could do. Amari Cooper, six catches, 81 yards, and... I'm really surprised that Amari Cooper has stayed as engaged as he has. You know, he's kind of had tendencies to kind of check out when things aren't going his way and things aren't really going well, and he's really stuck with it. And he's been a pro this entire season so far, so I'm pleasantly surprised about the effort of Amari Cooper. I thought this guy would go MIA and we wouldn't see or hear from him again, but he's really busting his ass out there. So I know I shouldn't praise a guy who's getting paid millions and millions of dollars for doing his job, but sometimes it's just tough mentally to, to work hard for no reason. So good for Amari Cooper, man, and. CeeDee Lamb, four catches, 35 yard, 34 yards, and just an insane touchdown grab that he had. And Dalton Schultz, game-winning two-yard touchdown there. He was wide open. Everybody just collapsed on CeeDee Lamb there, and Dalton Schultz was wide open. So 
Kirk Cousins, another really good, efficient football game. Just the defense just couldn't get any stops on Andy Dalton. I know that's insane to say in the year 2020, but it is what it is. So Kirk, he was 22 of 30, 314 yards and three touchdowns. Dalvin Cook, 27 carries, 115 yards, a touchdown, five catches, 45 yards. Adam Thielen, eight catches, 123 yards and two touchdowns. Just a beautiful one-handed grab he had there in the corner of the end zone. He's just, Thielen is a machine, man. Justin Jefferson, three catches, 86 yards, and a touchdown. So the game-winning touchdown, that was the first passing touchdown in NFL history in which the passer's last name is the exact match of, to the receiver's first name. So it was Dalton to Dalton. So first time that has ever happened before. So that was pretty crazy to think about. This is the first time a Dallas wide receiver had 80-plus receiving yards in a game without Dak Prescott. Speaking of Amari Cooper there. Ezekiel Elliott, he had 100 yards rushing for the first time in his last 10 games that ended the longest drought of his career so again maybe they can build on this and start getting this run game going and kind of taking the pressure off whatever quarterback is back there Adam Thalen he's the first Minnesota player with two plus touchdowns in two straight games since 2004 where Marcus Robinson and Randy Moss both did that he also joined Randy Moss in 2003 is the only players in Minnesota Vikings history with 10 plus receiving touchdowns in the first 10 games of a season but Thielen was added to the COVID reserve list on Monday. I don't think he'll be able to play on, on Sunday, so that's a big hit for this Minnesota offense. So that means more targets for Justin Jefferson. So that's something to be excited about. So it's a pretty good slate on Monday or Sunday on early games. So it was a pretty it was a pretty entertaining slate of football. And then he had the Sunday night football game, Kansas City 35, Las Vegas 31. This is a really fun game back and forth there in the fourth quarter, exactly what you want it to be. Mahomes, 34-45, 348 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick, orchestrating that game-winning drive at the end. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire started running the football more with him and Le'Veon Bell. Edwards-Hilaire had 14 carries, 69 yards, and two touchdowns. Le'Veon Bell added in a touchdown and 25 yards. Travis Kelsey, eight catches, 127 yards, and a touchdown. Tyreek Hill, 11 catches, 102 yards, and a touchdown. Derek Carr, 23-31. 275 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. Josh Jacobs, 17 carries, 55 yards, and a touchdown. Nelson Aguilar, he had six catches, 88 yards, and a touchdown. Darren Waller, he pitched in seven catches, 88 yards, and a touchdown. And Jason Witten, one catch, one yard, one touchdown. That's that's production right there. That's how you do it. So they, like I said, back and forth in the fourth quarter, there were five lead changes in the second half. Kansas City, they moved to 30-4 and versus the AFC West since 2015. Andy Reid, he is now 19-3 and following a bye week. That is by far the most wins by an active head coach right now. Kansas City, they are 15-1 and in the last 16 games for the first time in franchise history. 23-plus points in 24 straight games. That's the longest streak in NFL history, so... Kansas City, they are the best team in football. I'm saying it every week. I know my Pittsburgh Steelers are undefeated, but... Kansas City is the best team in football, plain and simple, bar none. If Pittsburgh could get a little more consistent, I know they're scoring 24-plus points every single game this season, blah, 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 but they got to be more well-rounded on all facets, more consistently. Kansas City is doing that, and then they're the far, the, the defending Super Bowl champions, they're the best team in football right now. So some stuff for Travis Kelsey here, so... He now has the second most receiving yards in Kansas City history with 7,306. He also has the second most receptions by a tight end in their first eight seasons in NFL history. 
570. So he passed Tony Gonzalez, who is the greatest tight end of all time. He has three straight 100-yard receiving games. That's the longest streak that he's had since 2018. Derek Carr, he joins Russell Wilson as the only quarterbacks in NFL history with 25-plus thousand passing yards and less than 70 interceptions in their first seven seasons. So Derek Carr is playing really good football. And again, I've been really hard on Derek Carr most of his career, but he is playing phenomenal football this year, and it's a reason that Las Vegas is relevant and they are in the thick of it in that playoff hunt there. So shout out to Derek Carr, man. I'll eat some crow. He's He's been really great this year. John Gruden's getting the best out of Derek Carr. He's He's been fantastic. So we'll get to Monday Night Football. LA Rams, 27. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 24. Jared Goff, 39 of 51, 376 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. LA, they only ran the ball 20 times for 37 yards, but they, they didn't have to run, man. The way Cooper Cup and Robert Woods were going, Jesus Christ. Cooper Cup, 11 catches, 145 yards. He had five catches, 60 yards in the first drive. That's like the most in the first drive since they started tracking plays in, in, seri- in each series. So, that's been since, like, I think it was, like, 1990-something. So, absolutely insane first drive. Once that first drive started going, you're like, man, they're going to have a really tough time with Cooper Cup, and sure as shit, they did. Robert Woods, 12 catches, 130 yards, and a touchdown. Jordan Fuller got his first two career interceptions against Tom Brady. He was picked number 199. Tom Brady was also picked 199, blah, blah, blah. How many times fucking Steve Levy said that during the game? But this was a fantastic outing for this Rams defense. They didn't get a lot of sacks, but they got a lot of pressure, and they were in Brady's face the entire game. We know that. That book is out on Brady for 20 years now. If you get pressure right up the middle in his face, make him move early, it's going to have a rough night, and that's exactly what happened. And we've seen it with these teams like Chicago, with L.A., with New Orleans, teams that can get to the quarterback with only rushing four, not even having to blitz. So, Again, they said it 6,000 times, but Tampa Bay was missing Ali Marpet. They're by far their best offensive lineman, so they really did miss him a lot. But, god damn, they got to fix that offensive line issues. They are just not giving Tom any time. And, you know, he's having some accuracy issues here and there. Uh, I think he's been playing really great football, but he has uh, had some accuracy issues. And also, when you play, you know, you add in that the offensive line is not protecting very well for him and his clock is a little rushed. He's going to make some mistakes, and he's not going to be as sharp throwing the ball down the field. But L.A. was, man, this defense is putting on a clinic the past couple weeks. What they did to Russ, what they've done to Brady here on Monday night, they are playing some damn good defense. And this Rams team, they're jumping up for me here. They they might be the cream of the crop here in the NFC West. So very good stuff by the Rams. I'm not the biggest Jared Goff guy in the world. I'm not the biggest McVay guy in the world, but... I have to respect this team is playing some damn good football right now, especially defensively. They have been great. And I just I didn't see this defense being this good. Like, you know, you got Aaron Donald, potentially the best player in the entire league. Jalen Ramsey, one of the best corners in football. But the, the rest of it just didn't seem like was going to be enough. But they've really played some damn good football here. So Rams, man, big, big win. For Tampa Bay, just another clunker and a primetime game. It's kind of just, oh, you just want to pull your hair out. It's like, what are you doing? Like, ugh. But Tampa Bay for Tom Brady, 26 of 48, 216 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Tampa Bay, 18 carries, 42 yards rushing. This was not a rushing football team on either side here. None of these teams could get the ball running the football here. So, 
Antonio Brown, he led them in receptions with eight, 57 yards. It feels like Brady's kind of forcing the ball to him a little bit, but all in all, you know, it's it's going to happen. They're, they're still trying to get some continuity, and that's what Bruce Arians is talking about, and that's, that's going to take some time, but they really needed this win, Tampa Bay did, so New Orleans doesn't run away with the division, so that's tough. They, they really needed this win, and they just, they just couldn't get it done. Uh, Chris Godwin, seven catches, 53 yards, and a touchdown. Mike Evans, five catches, 49 yards, and a touchdown, so... L.A. is now 32-0 and when leading at half since 2017. That is the second longest streak since 1970. Tom Brady, he's 5-15 when trailing at half the last four seasons. He's 32-8 and when leading. That's kind of one of those stats where everyone wants to point to Lamar and shit on Lamar for because, you know, his record is way below 500 when he's trailing halftime. Yeah, most quarterbacks are. I don't know why that is such a stat that is glamorized about Lamar Jackson. I love a lot of this episode is coming back to defending Lamar Jackson, but it's insane how much of that stat is thrown into my face. I would love. I haven't looked this up. I probably will, and I'll, 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 I'll look. I'll tell you what it is. Next episode, I would love to see the records of all these quarterbacks of when they're trailing in halftime. I guarantee you, there's probably less than five of them that have a winning fucking record. But that is thrown in my face nonstop with Lamar. Anyway, so the GOAT, the greatest quarterback of all time, he is 5-15 and 15 the last four years from trailing at halftime. So, But, you know, Lamar sucks. Um, anyway, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, I told you, they put on an absolute clinic. They were the first pair of Rams teammates to have 10-plus receptions and 100-plus yards in each in a game since 1948. Brady, he passed Drew Brees for first all-time on touchdowns. You know, that's been fun going back and forth from the two of them. Brady should have a nice little lead with Drew Brees being out, but this offense is going to sputter the way it is. He probably won't have that much of a lead here. So Brady, he's now 14 of 58 for 24% completion percentage, 503 yards for an 8.6 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, three picks, and a 53 passer rating on deep passes. That is considered 20-plus yards or more so. Again, all of his completions, essentially, they were in that Las Vegas game. That's the best he's looked throwing the deep ball. He had a couple against Carolina last week, so he thought, okay, we're turning in the right direction here, but if you're going to get pressure up the middle, he's not going to be able to really move up in the pocket like he likes to and drive the football down the field. It's going to be inaccurate. So uh, this is kind of uh, one of the things I was kind of hesitant about with Tampa Bay before the season started. I know I picked them to go to the Super Bowl. You weren't that hesitant, Tom. But I was kind of hesitant about the fit of Arians and Brady. You know, Brady is not hes not chucking it down the field all this time and, and doing shit like that. That's not Tom. Tom is turning to a short, intermediate passing game, controlling the clock, controlling the game, and being pinpoint accurate and sharp and not turning the football over. And Arians' philosophy is chuck it. Somebody's going to be down there. Go. Throw it as far as you can. Now. Do it every play. And the shit that's going on with Bruce Arians and, and Brady, is, it's it's weird. Uh, the, the comments he made after the game, again, are just like, are those things you meant to say out loud? Or was that something you meant to tell your wife or something? He was talking about, you know, he doesn't see the inaccuracy issues in practice, but in this game it's happening, and he keeps shitting on Brady like uh, after every loss. And He did the same thing to Big Ben now that I, I think about it. He used to do the same thing to Big Ben. He did the same thing to Kurt Warner a lot too. He would really trash them in the media. It's like, again, are, th- are these things you're supposed to be telling your wife or you're telling this to reporters and they're they're tweeting these things out? And I'm, uh, 
I really don't know. And then Arians had a comment where he said that Brady is picking the plays on the sideline before he goes out there. And what the fuck? Dude, you're the head coach. Like, no. Like, you tell Byron Leftwich to pick the plays, okay? Like, he's the offensive coordinator. I mean, I don't even think that's true. It, there's no way that's true, is it? I mean, he just he just sits there and picks the plays that he wants. To, he scripts his own drives before he goes out there. I think that's I think it's a little insane, but whatever. I mean, this, the people are acting like this guy's following in Tampa Bay again. I mean, this is a game they probably should have won. And this is a game that, you know, like the Chicago game. This is the reason you brought Tom Brady over here, right? To win these football games. The games that James Winston wasn't winning last year, you expected Tom Brady to win them. And he hasn't. So, Tom Brady's got to be better. He's got to be better in these crunch time situations for Tampa Bay to get to where they want to be. So, you know, this is, this is a, a, if anything, this is more of a game about L.A. And L.A. is a legitimate team. If L.A. would kind of laid an egg like they did against Miami and they did against San Francisco and you're kind of like, okay, this team is a fraud. We don't have to worry about it. But this is this is a real team. They played really great football against a really, really stout Tampa Bay defense. They did a really great job. And, you know, I got to tip my hat to golf. He was, he was fantastic on Monday night. So that was a really, really great game on Monday night football. That's all you can ask for is that it went down to the last couple drives there. So that was week 11. And then we got Turkey Day football tomorrow. We got, you know, who gives a shit Houston versus who gives a shit Detroit. And then we got Washington at who gives a shit Dallas. But, you know, that last game, that 4 o'clock one, like I said, it does have NFC East playoff implications. So you will watch NFC football. You will like it. And it just sucks that we won't be able to have Baltimore and Pittsburgh as dessert at the end of the night. But... It is what it is. It's what 2020 has given us. So that's it for me. This is it's been a long one. Oh, this has been an hour and 33 minutes. I was kind of getting into some NBA stuff. There's not really much to get into. Jason Tatum got paid. He got the max. Bam Adebayo got the max. Donovan Mitchell got the max. Brandon Ingram finally got the max. It only took them 72 hours to get that one done with New Orleans. That was kind of perplexing, but they got it done. You know, four dudes now out of the 2016 draft have got paid. So Good for those guys. They all they all really deserve it. And a, a really strange story that came out. And then I'm going to really wrap this one up. So apparently there was an article that came out that NBA teams are compiling dossiers of Giannis Antetokounmpo's uh, girlfriend and his family. That is the creepiest shit I've ever heard. And that doesn't sound normal at all. Um, to be making dossiers... Uh, Sounds like Dennis Reynolds in the way he made dossiers of all the gang and always sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, very weird. Uh, that's some really creepy shit. Um, but big implications though, because for the, I mean, Bam signing the max. Bam has the same agent as Giannis Antetokounmpo. Bam and Giannis are very good friends. Apparently, Giannis was very impressed that Miami took care of Bam in the way that they did, in the fashion that they did it, very quickly. So. Pat Riley and his heat culture is kind of, you know, it's impressing Giannis Antetokounmpo. And, you know, Miami feels like, or Milwaukee, sorry, they feel like their chances of keeping Giannis has taken a significant blow with the whole debauchery of the Bogdan Bogdanovich signing trade thing. That was a complete lapse. And I was, said it, I was talking about it on Saturday. That is a nightmare. And I can't believe that you allowed that to happen. But, um, yeah. It's going to be a really annoying year for Milwaukee fans. You're going to have to hear about, you know, Giannis's f- free agency and 
where he's going to go, and you're going to see a lot of Photoshop pictures of Giannis while the season's still going on. Believe me, I know the pain. I know the struggle of it. I've I've had LeBron on my team twice, so it's going to be rough. And, you know, just hang tough, Milwaukee, and just you got to pray to God that Bud knows how to play Giannis for more than 32 minutes per game now, and he's made some adjustments. And, you know, maybe my Milwaukee will win one, and, you know, Giannis will be inclined to stay. I doubt any of those things will happen. So, anyway. That was some NBA stuff. We recapped week 11. Enjoy your Thanksgiving tomorrow. You can follow me on Twitter at Tom underscore Shiflet. That's usually where I'm most active. I'll share stuff on Facebook only for, you know, my links and stuff like that. For the most part, I'm on Twitter, so you can follow me there. Follow me, direct message me, whatever. Ask me questions about the show. I will meet back up with you here on Saturday. Again, enjoy your holiday, and uh, I'll see you later. Y'all take it easy. I'm out.